Welcome to Health System CIO's Partner Perspective Interview Series. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Today we're talking with Dr. Kel Pulse, Chief Clinical Officer with MediQuant, about the new information sharing requirements for health systems, the high level of M&A activity among those health systems, and how this dynamic has created big challenges for IT professionals. Kel, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Very good. You want to start off, tell me a little bit about MediQuant and your role there. Absolutely. So MediQuan is pioneer in the active archive space. Uh, we've been around for about a little over 20 years now, 21 this year. Um, I've been with MediQuant for about seven and a half. I'm the chief clinical officer currently. So I have responsibility uh, for client services, all things clinical in-house. And um, I'm also the HIP privacy officer for the company. All right. Very good. So what we're going to talk about today is, again, we, as I mentioned before, the, the M&A activity, the juxtaposition of that with the information sharing requirements and the conditions that's created. So let's start, if you want to give me an overview of those information sharing, information blocking, all the stuff that's been coming out. Um, there were some delays, I think, and now the, the deadlines are sticking, right? We're starting to see sticking. Um, so just, just just go over what you want us to know about what uh, health systems have to do, what you know, what deadlines have recently passed, what are coming up, um, and we could start there. Okay, sounds good. Um, so maybe just a little bit of history about the Cures Act. It started in 2016, uh, and, and the point of the Cures Act when it was originally enacted was to increase innovation, um, allow you know more access to records, and improve really. Um, kind of an interoperability to start that process. In March of 2020, um, ONC uh, actually increased that um, capability requirement. So they, they put in some, some clauses around information blocking, um, some interoperability uh, APIs, and they also put in some information around what we call USCDI, which is the data set uh, specifically around clinical data set um, that, that in, three actors really are going to have to um, support and to comply with. So when we talk about actors, as far as ONC and the Cures Act, we're talking about providers, uh, HIEs and uh, payers in particular. And then um, also part of that is going to be not just the providers, but the certified um, HIT providers. So IT, so let's say some of the big EMR uh, yeah. type systems, they're going to have to comply. So if you're certified under ONC, you're part of that requirement. So the, the point of the second part of the Cures Act is really um, to improve interoperability. Um, interoperability, as you know, you know, years ago when we started out with the American Reinvestment um, Act, it was to increase uh, interoperability. And so EMR vendors or HIT vendors took that kind of interoperability between themselves. They increased that component. The Cures Act is gonna change that a little bit. It's going to mean that they're gonna have to be interoperability with competitors, with uh, HIEs, with healthcare facilities outside of an organization that um, uh, you know you normally see, so they this is going to increase that requirement for interoperability. APIs, how you're going to access some of that uh, data. So whether it's a patient accessing data, a payer uh, providing the API, so a provider can get it or a patient can get their own information. 
that's that's changing as part of the CARES Act here. <clears throat> so one of the major components, Anthony, is, is around information blocking. Um, patients want access to their records. Uh, in the past, providers have had reasons or um, different, you know, different requirements for a patient to be able to get access to their records. And so part of the, the Cures Act is to stop that, stop that, you know, coming up with excuses basically of why a patient can't get their record. Um, and so the interoperability initially starts applying. Um, they've got about 15 days. And, and this is some of the information that's coming out in the, the will come out in the HIPAA, the new HIPAA rules along with this this year. Um, payers are required. Um, information blocking started the 1st of April, you know, around the 1st of April. Um, and payers are required to comply with, with the information blocking rule so that you really only have very few exceptions of why you're not providing patients records um, or even providers records. So if you've got a provider that's outside a health organization, they're requesting records on behalf of the patient, um, it, you have to send them. Uh, so that information blocking rule is in effect. It will um, increase and penalties will start to apply for that. For that. Uh, the Cures Act then extends. So uh, later in, in the process, you're going to have um, additional penalties for any of these for people that don't, uh, you know, don't comply with this type of thing. Um, and this starts in, you know, 2021, 2022, it's going to continue. Uh, eventually, the APIs and in particular, um, the use of FHIR. So FHIR is, is going to be the standard for sending information electronically uh, from one provider to another, one payer to a provider. Patients uh, can get access and request that information to be sent as well. Uh, the US CDI is the initial data set that's going to be uh, listed on there that needs to be sent through the FHIR transaction. So where we had HL7 uh, standard in the past, FHIR 4.0 will be the new standard for sending information. So this will increase uh, information sharing, the interoperability, absolutely, and uh, patient access to their own records going forward. Would you describe this as a heavy lift? I mean, there's all people are all over on the spectrum in terms of right. their, you know, there's different sizes of organizations, their 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 size of their IT staff, their sophistication. Um, if we can come up with in our head an average health system, uh, is this a really heavy lift? Is this impossible or is this manageable? How would you describe it for the average health system? I, I think that's a great question, Anthony. This is going to be um, a, a pretty heavy lift, I think, for several organizations, not just the organization, but the health IT vendors themselves. Um, they're, they're working on, and they have been working on some interoperability. Um, a lot of the bigger HIT vendors have created patient portals, that kind of thing already. Um, but this will be a heavy lift in one, sharing and collaborating with one another so that they can actually, you know, send the information back and forth. Um, in addition, this, they're, they're going to have to talk to each other, which is something that is not, it's not really done today. You know, they, they understand and they want to protect their intellectual property, uh, the interoperability and requirement to share data across um, vendors is going to be interesting to see. That's where I see more of the heavy lift that's going to happen with this they're gonna to have to collaborate more together to make this happen. And um, they do have a little time. I, I anticipate that, you know, just like Meaningful Use got pushed out a little bit, certain components of that, this very well may also 
um, but I wouldn't plan on it. I mean, the healthcare organizations right now need to focus on this right now. And, and part of this interoperability and sharing of data and even accessing using APIs, they need to part, you know, plan right now in, in part of their strategy is how do they get a unique EMPI for all of their patients? You mentioned MA activity earlier. It's increased significantly. So for safety purposes, uh, for being able to share the correct data or patients getting access or providers getting access to the right patient data, they need to establish um, a unique EMPI. And this is absolutely a challenge right now with all of the MA activity going on. Um, so you've mentioned the vendors have a heavy lift. We're, you know, let's primarily focus on the health systems. I understand it's very connected, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm a CIO at a, at a health system, to what degree am I relying on my key vendors to make sure I can do what's required of me by them doing what's required of them, by them, you know, communicate, you know, working out communications with other vendors and interoperability there. So to what, do, how much do I have to do and how much can I just make sure or hope that my vendors, my key vendors do what they have to do, or is it in combination? Um, it's in combination. That's that's a that's a very good point. And there are two separate asks here. Um, the hospital system is going to have to have one their patient portal or the ability to send. So they're going to focus more on probably the EMPI component. Though the HIT vendors offer some uh, EMPI creation. Historically, what we find when we're on the the archive side of this is they're not assigning a unique identifier to every patient. They acquire uh, facilities, whether it's a provider, an ambulatory site, or they're merging. So we've had some really big mergers in the last few years. Uh, Baylor Scott and White's a good example. Um, Common Spirit, you know, is a is a most recent um, uh, merger that you you know Dignity was involved in that. Um, And all of these, once they merge, they have, you know, they don't have a unique identifier for these patients, but that is going to be necessary. So from the healthcare side, they really need to put as part of their strategy from a financial and a human resource perspective plan to get that in place. From a health IT perspective, they need to have the software to support fire. So being able to send those transactions back and forth. And then there's going to be a lot of testing, a lot of working with, um, again, not just the health system to do that, that testing and make sure that those are going where they need to, but it's going to be a lot of working together um, that they're going to have to do. So now let's bring in the M&A side. So it makes me think of trying to change the wheels on a car while it's moving, right? Because you never have a steady state usually, um, hospitals go 24 hours a day and the M&A, the acquisitions will continue. I don't picture the CEOs or those that are in charge of that kind of stuff saying, well, let's hold on until you get all this straightened out and then we'll start acquiring again. So what are the implications of trying to manage and meet these regulations when you're leading an environment that is continuing to grow through physician practice acquisition and hospital acquisition? Um, how much more complicated does that make it? It, it does make it more complicated. Um, I think you give a great analogy. We, we tend to use that as well. Um, you're, you're in the race, you're working on everything and you're, you're going 200 miles an hour trying to change the wheels at the same time. So that was a perfect right. analogy, oh. Anthony. Um, so as we, we talk about these 
as I mentioned earlier, part of that is really your planning. You've got to plan that when you are, whether it's acquiring um, and, uh, you know, or you're doing a merger is think of that as part of the strategy. How do you, um, as part of the planning phases, say, okay, we're going to have to run every every application that comes in, um, all of the patient data, we're going to run it through and we're going to create a unique MPI. We're going to bump it up against what we have. Everyone's going to get a unique um, EMPI number. And, you know, think about doing it with all accounts, Um, not just three years worth or five years worth, because you will have mismatches in there. Absolutely. um, If you only do a certain number of years back. And so you really are still, your goal is a one patient, one record, especially if you are including um, other sites in there, but for safety purposes, uh, for workflow purposes, you know, point of care. Um, And just thinking about the the huge lift this is for HIM right now, uh, medical records. You know, when you when you have mergers and acquisitions going on, in addition to um, putting in a new HIS system in house, and you're you you'll say you're putting in a new big HIS system, say Epic or Cerner, Meditech, um, Allscript, something bigger, and you're replacing smaller systems in house. Right now, HIM has to go to all of these systems uh, to pull out records. You know, even if they've just designated something in-house as their legal medical record, you know, archives typically part of that now, the active archive, um, you add M&A in there and now you've got, you, you've multiplied the number of places that HIM has to go to find these records. And with the new proposed rules for HIPAA, they're going to go from 30 days to 15 days to, to get you a record. You're not going to be able to extend that. The fines will increase. Um, and anytime you've got this increased footprint, obviously you've got to think of security. So that's another issue that, that they'll have to consider as well as, is the security points. So, you know, we've said for a long time and, and folks know that you have to involve it in acquisition considerations, your due mm-hmm. diligence and all that kind of thing. Um, this new, these new requirements make me think that's even more important because the day that hospital or physician practice becomes yours, you have to be able to comply with greatly enhanced interoperability requirements. So you need to see where that entity you're acquiring is, um, whether they are up to speed, and I guess how quickly you can get them up to speed once they're acquired, because that's not an excuse. Oh, we just bought them. We need some time right? You have to comply on day one when they become yours. So what are your thoughts there? Right. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, and again, it goes back to that planning. So not only do you need to figure out one, what you have in-house already, what are the applications that you have that you, you're going to have to pull data out of that are going to have to be part of that uh, interoperability plan um, and focus on your patients, you know, getting that unique identifier, but you really need to put any system that's coming in through a rationalization um, exercise of what do we, what, what data do we have? What do we now own? Um, to something you said a, a second ago, you own that now when you've, you've acquired something. So you have responsibility for that data. You need to have a plan in place that, that really walks out. Here's what we have now. So let's get everything we have in an inventory um, as we bring things in, those get added to the inventory, and every one of those goes through a rationalization exercise. You're not just inheriting clinical data or financial data. Um, you're often inheriting ERP systems, you know, other systems that are sitting out there, and you need to determine, is this something that we're going to have to put 
in our interoperability plan? Is this something we even need to keep? Um, who needs access to this? Is this something that's a patient access type application? Um, or is it something that we can, you know, archive it off and we don't need to worry about it as far as the Cures Act plan for interoperability, but we do need to have access to it. So there's a whole rationalization component that goes, I will tell you, rationalization is not a, a simple process. It is a time-consuming process, but it's a necessary thing to do. And one of it, it, part of it is just getting your arms around what do you own? Um, and, you know, as you acquire or you merge with other groups, um, you need to keep keep up with that so that you you know what you've got, because that's going to determine, you know, so you're not, you don't have holes in things. You're not missing things that need to be part of interoperability um, or long-term storage. So your retention guidelines obviously are going to play a part in that. Uh, but that's kind of what you do is you bump that up against what are our retention guidelines? What do we need to keep? What needs to be part of CURES? There are so many things to think about. And, you know, I do recommend that that these organizations um, get some assistance for this. Typically, they're so busy in day-to-day -day operations that this is not something that they can spend uh, the time to focus on necessarily. They may want to bring, um, you know, an expert in and help them get organized because <laughs> that's going to be your first step is getting organized. And then you come up with a plan based on what you know you have. You hear from organizations, if an organization is calling you for help, they're on it, right? They're, they're, right. they're active. They're looking into it. Um, we've seen sometimes in healthcare where with things like this, there's a wait and see uh, approach. Mm -hmm. With the price transparency, they were supposed to put out some price transparency. Nobody did it. When they did it, they hit it and you couldn't find it. Um, so, and, you know, some people say, oh, let's wait and see, let's see what the stick is, you know, right. well, I, well, there's not going to be much of a stick. And if there is a stick, then we'll get moving. I'm imagining you think that's a big mistake. I think that's a huge mistake. There are no carrot and sticks in this. This is not one of those, you, you know, uh, carrot stick situation. You're going to get to the end and you're, they're going to start penalizing. They've gotten it figured out. So if you think about um, at first when, even when HIPAA came out, and uh, people, you know, started reporting or they started getting violations. It took a little bit for them um, to get to get organized to start penalizing people and how to collect that. And so, uh, people did a wait and see. They really did a wait and see. This is not going to be a wait and see um, activity. They're going to to start looking at this for the information blocking. Patients can report on this. So it, you know. Breaches are, are kind of self-reported. Right now, when an organization has a breach, they they self-report. Um, you get some big penalties. We see them out there, some really big penalties. Um, last year, there was you know about forty-eight million, roughly, um, for for one organization that they settled on. So, or you know, overall. So as you start looking at these, patients can report if there's yeah. information blocking going on. So not only do you have a self-reporting potentially for things, but you've got patients out there that are saying, listen, I can't get my data. I anticipate that reporting mechanism is probably uh, once they realize they can do that, they are going to do it. That's why we have this in the first place. Um, it, these rules are usually in reaction to something happening and um, patients saying, I can't get my records or it's taking too long to get my records. That kind of stuff is what drove the rule in the first place. I think you're absolutely right. That stuff's going to get reported. Patients yeah. are going to, they're going to report it because that's, we all know that's irritating, right? It it's, is. Everyone I'm sure has been irritated about uh, how much it would cost uh, to get their record or, you know, we got to make copies, you know, paper. 
Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts around budgeting for this? I mean, is there is there, is there any way to figure the dollar uh, the dollars over and above what organizations normally would spend on IT? I mean, any thoughts around that? Uh, that's you know that's a great question, Anthony. That's going to vary depending on how big the organization is. Again, two big components: the EMPI creation. Um, you know, you're going to expect to probably. Um, get a solution that not only generates the EMPI, but that keeps those things kind of in sync going forward. So I expect there's going to be a licensing component with that. Um, the health IT vendors obviously are going to have their own cost uh, to get uh, the, the US CDI and the fire APIs, those things in place. Um, so it is going to vary. Uh, I wish I could say that it was a certain amount. You could count on that, but it, it's really sitting down and determining with the organization, how big is it? And then that's where they're going to get their budget from. They need to start looking at it now though, because they're making budgets for next year, even, you know, they're, they're already going to start on the budget processes and depending on whether they're, you know, what their budget cycle is. Um, some of them may be in the middle of budgeting now. Some may not do it until they may do a, you know, an annual budget um, fiscal year. Uh, they need to start working this in right now if they have not done it and um, or if they're looking at maybe going to a new EMR or merger and at, you know, M&A activity, they really need to sit down and, and plan it in the budget. This is it seemed to be an afterthought. Um, even, you know, even HIPAA, those kinds of things were an afterthought. And then they ended up paying a lot more because they were trying to play catch up. So they paid extra. If this they planted in their initial resourcing and in their budgeting um, they're going to be able to, if nothing else, they could potentially capitalize some of this stuff and, you know, pay the costs over a period of time, or at least in alignment with um, the rollout, which makes a lot more sense than trying to come up with all the money at the end. Uh, just back to the vendors. Um, if you were uh, giving advice to CIOs at health systems, what would you tell them? Which vendors in terms of type, sort of EMR vendor, any others you can think of, which vendors do they need to talk to and what should they be asking? Uh, first, they need to talk to their HIS vendor. They need to reach out to whoever they currently have right now. If they've got someone, if they've got a plan to replace uh, their current HIS inside in-house, those are the first ones to talk to because they're going to drive. Uh, they're going to have the biggest lift um, and they're going to have the biggest um impact um, for training, for interoperability. They need to talk to them immediately and say, what is your plan? What is your rollout plan? How do we get this on? And I need some cost analysis so I can work this into my budget. Whether it's an HIS vendor, whether it's their uh, uh, active archive vendor, because that's part of part of their new rollout for most hospitals now is they, they archive um, the old systems. Um, they will do limited conversion work into their new HIS because they're trying to keep that as clean as possible. And those legacy systems have a lot of dirty data. So they don't want to, you know, fill up their brand new, clean, pretty HIS mm -hmm. system with old legacy data. So they separate that out. So that has to be part of the discussion as well. Anywhere that you're looking at combination of patient access, provider access, and anything that's going to store USCDI, uh, part of that record set, you need to be talking to those vendors. And so. internally, internally for a health system CIO, who should they be talking to internally, either by department or by title, uh, to make sure they're ready? So your CFO needs to be in governance because they're going to be looking at the, res the financial resources to cover this. Um, 
The CIO, as you mentioned, the IT department for supporting HIM. HIM is going to be huge. You need your provider uh, champion, uh, your nurse champion. This is the same team you're going to start with with your governance and make sure you're including legal and compliance in there. You should have your legal compliance officer, uh, your HIPAA privacy officer, and your security uh, officer. Those That team of people right there um, will need to make some, some serious decisions on how you're going to get, they're going to get ready for this. Um, HIM often gets left off, I will tell you, of the list, and uh, it's important to make sure that they're in there. Your financial uh, business office folks, so you've got those major uh, heads of departments there that have an impact or they're going to be affected by uh, information blocking. So as, as this current rollout for the new information blocking piece of it started, it, it's more related to payers, um, how the payers are getting back and forth. But patients are also going to get access to their financial records in the long run. It's not just the clinical. So make sure your business office is involved in that also. So uh, health systems are going to do this because they have to do it and they don't want to get penalized. Mm -hmm. They don't want to get called out on the carpet. There's reputational issues, but health healthcare seems to be becoming more competitive, uh, more consumer centric, patient centric. They're thinking more about taking care of their customer right? Yeah. Having a nice yeah. digital front door and all that. So I'd imagine that's another reason you really want to be maybe even above and beyond on this, maybe not just doing what you have to do, but trying to, you know, either get patients their records or, or act on their behalf in an even above and beyond way for competitive exactly. reasons. Right. You are are absolutely right, Anthony. It is more competitive in healthcare organizations competing with one another. Uh, Patient feedback and where patients can rate their provider, they can rate their healthcare system, their focus is on patient experience um, in house. And part of that experience is letting the patient, it's very patient centric. Mm -hmm. It's becoming that direction where, you know, um, it used to be you'd go see a provider and your provider would tell you, you know, here's what's wrong. Take this medicine. People would take the medicine or, you know, here's your treatment. Um, With the, you know, the introduction of one, uh, Google, social media, you know, all the different places that someone can go on and search for disease process. They can search for symptoms. They can search all of these things. Um, They now have the ability to go out and they're getting more involved in their own healthcare, which means it's turned it into a commercialization. It really is a business. Healthcare is a business. Um, What providers, you know, even though they are in this competitive business now, their main focus is still patient care, patient safety. So they're balancing this. Um, this need to take care of their patients and do the best they can, keep them safe with all the requirements now for interoperability. You know, you've added the technology into the middle of it. You're not going to get rid of it. Um, we've got a health system down a, a couple weeks ago for, you know, uh, for a ransom attack and they went back to paper. You know, once you have a health organization go back to paper, they realize, wow, we didn't, you know, how much you rely on the technology to be right. Um, to provide you everything at the point of care. It's not until you go back and fall back on something like that, that you realize how how dependent you've become on the technology. And it, that's not going to change. As long as the technology is there, you, you know, our providers get more dependent on it. They go to school, they, uh, all the providers in medical school now and nurses in medical school, they all are growing up on technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I started yeah. on paper. I'm dating yeah. myself. 
but <laughs> documenting on paper, um, you know, and then going to electronic, there's, there's just, there's no, there's nothing like being able to spend more time with your patient. And of course you, as you know, they've worked through that over the years, they put in technology that was not workflow friendly, right? It was technology it, you know, and then they started getting providers involved in care. Yeah, definitely. You could see from a historical perspective, uh, you and your cohort were in that difficult transitional phase. Yes. Um, sort of the hardest place to be, right? When, you, when you when you train in one environment and you have to work in another, that's the hardest one. Well, you did the you did the pioneering work, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're almost out of time. I just want to see if you had any final thought, uh, piece of advice for our our health system CIO listeners. Um, I think if anything, start now. If you've not started looking at this, if you've not read about the Cures Act, if you've not really focused too much on the interoperability, I know our CIOs are really busy, and uh, they, you know, they're trying to support systems and implementation of systems. Um, get your legal involved. Get get involved with this because you want to work it into your budgeting. You want to work it into your plan, and make sure that you're including your important people in house um, as you go through these activities. Make sure you're getting your um, your inventory up to date. Be prepared. So when you do have M and A activity, whether you're being acquired, um, you know whether you're merging with someone else, or where, whether you're doing the acquisition, um, you can work this into your inventory, and you can get all of these systems, uh, get your arms around them, and make a really solid plan for this. Well, that's awesome, Kel. Thank you so much for joining me today. I think this is a lot of great information. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Anthony. It was terrific. I appreciate the opportunity.